Hello, everyone, and welcome to 98 Chartered, an episode of the Shrinking Cities podcast. 98 because 98% of public school students in New Orleans attend public charter schools. My name is Julia, and I will be one of your co-hosts today. We will be discussing education in New Orleans and explaining how it has become a hub for public charter schools. I'm Fanesia, and I'm also co-hosting this invigorating conversation. And yes, I said invigorating. I am so excited to get started and dive into the wild world of education in New Orleans. Let's first begin with how and why New Orleans is considered a shrinking city. Oh, shrinking city, like how Louisiana loses a football field of land to climate change every day? Hmm, not quite. Urban planners generally define shrinking cities as dense cities that experience a notable population loss, usually attributed to disinvestment or deindustrialization. However, we also consider New Orleans to be a shrinking city, even though its population decline was largely due to Hurricane Katrina. The city's 2019 population was about 390,000 people, which was less than 80% of its population in 2000 and less than 60% of its peak population in 1970. While the significant loss classifies New Orleans as a shrinking city, the population is now steadily increasing, so there is hope for population restoration. The New Orleans education system is complicated, but call us when you find a simple education system. It's important to highlight that there's been inequity in New Orleans before Hurricane Katrina, and that the hurricane disproportionately affected poor and Black residents, so much so that they haven't bounced back the same way that white communities have. The New Orleans education system demonstrates the way limited resources and existing inequities make schools unequitable. So let's go back to 2004. The year before Hurricane Katrina, 77% of New Orleans students were economically disadvantaged, compared to 61% across Louisiana. The question is, were those students being offered an education that provided them economic mobility the government previously deprived them of? Across the U.S. at that time, education became a central issue. In 2001, former President George W. Bush passed the No Child Left Behind Act. And post-Katrina, New Orleans is cited as a charter school success. But are there children post-Katrina that have been left behind? And what are charter schools? And what does that have to do with inequity? We'll answer the first question in our interview, but according to Wikipedia, a charter school is a school that receives government funding but operates independently of the established state school system in which it is located. Charter schools have become highly politicized and are seen by many as a way to privatize education. President of the Los Angeles Teacher Strike last winter declared the charter school movement is a vehicle for billionaires to privatize the system and undermine the public district. Today, New Orleans' public school system has been almost completely replaced by charter schools. We have Kate Swinburne from Youth Force NOLA here to talk with us about her organization's work and to give us a first-person perspective on education in New Orleans. Kate is the executive director of Youth Force NOLA and has years of experience in education. Before moving to New Orleans, she worked with DC Public Schools, New York City Public Schools, and taught first grade in Texas. Youth Force NOLA, we were created in summer of 2015 out of a collective effort of business, civic, and education organizations, all with a singular coalescing focus that the status quo was broken for our public school students, that if the status quo were to prevail, 
our public school students would not connect to and would not advance in our region's economically mobile jobs. We had partners coming to the table from a set of perspectives that included the city of New Orleans and our city's business alliance who were plotting the five-year plan for our city's continued economic growth. Post-Katrina, there was a lot of rebuilding that needed to happen. And in their planning, they set out and said, you know, we need more businesses to return to New Orleans. We want businesses that are in New Orleans to stay in New Orleans. Um, and in that business plan laid out equity as a growth strategy, saying that we were going to be a stronger city and a stronger region if every New Orleanian was engaged and every New Orleanian was part of our economic recovery. We created the Youth Force NOLA strategy, which became in order to help connect our young people to economic opportunity through both actual career awareness and exploration. We also needed to do actual experience out in the world of work so that they could see the world of work and build their skills. Um, we needed to help build professional networks. High-wage employers don't know our young people, and therefore we needed to build those professional connections. That is what Youth Force does. New Orleans consisted of zoned public schools and public charter schools. The introduction of charter schools was not new to the city post-Katrina, but the percentage of charter schools increased to almost replace the traditional school system afterwards. The great population loss experience post-Katrina was the most influential factor that led to the change in the education system throughout the entire city. The hurricane, which caused extreme damage and widespread displacement, forced people out of the city, bringing New Orleans children with it. According to urban studies scholars Wright and Bullard's piece, Black New Orleans Before and After Hurricane Katrina, the hurricane closed the entire New Orleans school system. It is important to note the disproportionate effect the hurricane had on Black families and individuals. Black people made up 93% of New Orleans students before the storm. According to Wright and Bullard, as families began to move back to the city, state and local officials approved new charter schools in some of the same buildings that once housed New Orleans traditional public schools before Katrina. Just 10 months after charter schools made up about half of the only 25 out of 117 schools open. Charter schools are a very interesting phenomenon as they are publicly funded, but privately owned and operated. These schools admit students based on a lottery system that, in the first five to ten years after Katrina, was largely inequitable for many Black and low-income students due to the need for demonstrated interest and parent meetings during the workday. New Orleans has been making huge strides to make this a more equitable process, but it is still not perfect. charter schools affect segregation within schools and segregation in the New Orleans community and how charter schools have kind of taken over the public school system and how they've affected education for young people. Where schools are underperforming, where schools are not supporting students towards rigorous academic outcomes, we need to take measures so that that school is not persistently low performing. I think objectively, this is something that one wants to agree with. It is malpractice to send young people to crappy schools. We should have every young person should be enrolled in and have access to a terrific school that helps them achieve terrific academic outcomes. And there are also incredibly disproportionate qualities of public schools that are often associated with one's zip code. 
And that is something, you know, I don't believe that your zip code should dictate and basically your family's ability to buy a house in a fancy neighborhood should not dictate your ability to get access to a great education. Part of the choices under No Child Left Behind is what will you do when a school is persistently failing? The state can take over the school. You can turn that school over to a private operator. You can charter that school. So basically you can give that school, that school can become a public charter school. And in exchange for greater autonomy, that school would have greater accountability. What the state decided to do was with those significantly low performing schools in New Orleans, some of them were going to convert them to public charter schools. And then, of course, Katrina wipes us out. You know, the, rather the levees breaking post-Katrina wipes us out. Continued inequities. And so Katrina then speeds up the rate at which schools in New Orleans are addressed for recovery. And a lot of our population leaves town. Then there's schools that are being directly run by the state. And there's schools that are being operated as public charter schools. The public charter schools are doing much better than the ones operated by the state. So the rate at which schools are then converted to public charter schools accelerates so that by about 2015, those schools that were on the low performing schools list are predominantly being operated as public charter schools. Chartering in part became a way to be able to open schools more quickly. So we ended up at this like almost entirely charter district. I would never frame it as the charters have taken over. Because that would suggest that a set of operatives like descended on New Orleans and grabbed up all the schools of our public charter schools. We have like we have one national operator, which is the KIPP network. But otherwise, all of our local charters are homegrown. Historically, the segregation of our schools was driven. There were two factors that would dictate for you when you walk into a school, what is going to be the predominant race of a child inside that school. Factor one would be what neighborhood were you in? So if you were in a predominantly white neighborhood, the young people in the school are going to be predominantly white. If you're in a predominantly black neighborhood, the young people are never going to be predominantly black. So and then the second determinant was magnet status. So we had a whole lot of schools that had academic admission criteria. We were segregated largely along socioeconomic lines. And then where white kids were attending a public school that was not their neighborhood school, it was that they were attending a magnet school. Um, and we have far fewer schools with academic admissions criteria. We have, we have fewer magnets now. Yeah, I think I really value her teaching experience because a lot of the times people who decide how to allocate funds to schools are people who have never been a part of the system themselves. One of the things I really appreciated that she said is it's not like the charter schools came in and just took over all these public schools. But when Hurricane Katrina happened and the rise of the charter school movement was really starting to pick up steam, people kind of just shifted course. And instead of opening failing public schools, you can sort of open these new charter schools and maybe hope for something better. But I guess that's the question. Are charter schools better? Something we were interested in is the application process for charter schools and also um, how that differs for families who are able to take the time to take a tour of a school or who are able to provide transportation and give them the opportunity to attend schools further away. We have a centralized enrollment system. Broadly, it's called Enroll NOLA. You preference which schools you want to go to and they run an algorithm, et cetera, it's called one app. And so the idea is pre-1app, 
you know, if you're a family and you're figuring out where you want your child to go to kindergarten, or you've got somewhere between three choices, if you're very particular, or 25, 40 choices, what it used to be before one app would be that you then needed to research all the possible schools and think about which school might be a fit for your young person and go tour that school and deliver your application slash enrollment packet to that school. And then that school would run their own individual lottery. If your number was A5, your kid got a spot, 10, you know, B10. So you needed to just go, you had to go sort of school by school, doing the research, dropping off paperwork, et cetera. And a set of schools often had as part of their criteria that to be considered, not only did you have to like have your enrollment paperwork in by a certain time, but you, you had to attend a family orientation to even be considered. Like, so they wouldn't put your lotto ball in the lotto bin until they like had your packet by a certain deadline and you attended an orientation on a certain date, et cetera. And, you know, oftentimes those times and dates for those open houses, et cetera, were scheduled during working hours. And there was like one of them. So it's just incredibly non-inclusive of working parents, not helpful if you did not own a car. So moving to one app, what basically said, this is no, you no longer have to go school by school submitting your enrollment packet. You enter into a centralized data system. I, these are my top preference schools. You know, this is my address. This is my details. Um, but it was not, there's no, there's no admissions criteria. Uh, of our guiding principles as a system, um, and it, you know, New Orleans is still a school system, but we're like a system of schools instead of like a top-down school system. But one of our um, guiding principles is a commitment to equity and um, schools. Part, part of it is just the state accountability system looks at equity in our schools, um, but also then um, I think I think in New Orleans, because we're an alternative district, there's a greater, I think in part because of the national focus and sort of the, the national anti-charter movement and the national conviction that you know charters are unequitable. I think we in New Orleans uh, have to certain sort of rallied to say like, oh, we hear your criticisms and we're gonna prove to you we are not inequitable. Yeah, New Orleans is the only district in the country that is majority charter schools for the public school system. Kate mentioned that only three schools are true public schools. It's different from a lot of the stories we hear on the news about New York or Philadelphia, where charter schools are maybe taking resources away from public schools. But in New Orleans, it may be a more equitable process, and it definitely has work to do. They have created policies like the One App that Kate talked about in the interview um, that make the process more fair. You know, when I was in New York talking to a friend who attended a charter school, we were talking about schools in class, and she talked about how charter schools, she felt are a little, and she's a graduate from a public high charter school, and she, but she highlighted that she thinks charter schools are a little predatory because she feels like, yeah, they got these students of color into these schools, but they didn't teach them what to do when they get there. Right. She didn't have the resources to thrive at a school like Barnard or Columbia. And I had the same thing happen to me at my public high school. And so part of me thinks that, you know, we were both young Black women from first generation Caribbean immigrant households. Is it that charter schools, is it charter schools versus public schools? 
or is it just schools that value certain students over others? Schools have been largely based off of property taxes. And if we know as urban studies students that our country has a history of redlining and devaluing certain properties literally based off of race. So there's no way you can have equity built upon that. So I think charter schools in a way are a great way to, to try to create a new system. But I think we're noticing that a lot of the same problems are starting to continue. Um, I think that's one of Kate's life works and what she does at Youth Force NOAA is trying to find ways to assist these kids and provide supplementary education, but also resources. I agree. And I think I think coming into this, I, I was at first I was a little skeptical because I was like, okay, but like just giving us a job doesn't fix the problem. I think the people of New Orleans are very passionate about their children and about their school system. New Orleans is almost an anomaly in terms of shrinking cities, first off, because of the um, way its shrinkage occurred, but also uh, the revitalization efforts that are going on in order to combat um, shrinking cities and uh, combat uh, disinvestment in the city. And I think part of what you said is people of New Orleans are very passionate and they are the kind of people that are going to, if there's not an organization, they're going to start it if there's not. And so they are looking at revitalization in a very people-centered way, um, looking at the community first. And of course, there are going to be issues with this because of developers or state or or local governments. Um, But I think that New Orleans um, revitalization process, especially their education process, is moving in the right direction. And yeah, I I agree with you. I'm excited to see what happens in New Orleans. I think we get caught up in the public versus charter conversation. And it's like, okay, great. If Betsy DeVos turns every school into a freaking charter school by 2030, we still have to make sure that these charter schools are serving students in the best ways possible. So rather than simply debate private versus public versus public charter schools, let's ask, what's being done differently? How do we expand access to education for low-income families? What do the issues in our schools tell us about systemic racism in our cities more broadly? This episode would not have been possible without the support of our professor, Mary Rocco. We'd also like to thank Kate Swinburne from Youth Force NOLA for providing us with her expert insight. The music you heard was Someday Sweetheart by Paul Barbarian and his New Orleans jazz band. This episode was co-written by Julia Hyman and Finesia Farrell. Audio was compiled by Finesia Farrell and our editor was me, Georgia Sparks. Thank you so much for listening.